Well, there's this thing called greenbacks and money and, well, I guess we could just go across the world and think about all the different types of language that they would have to say. I call it filthy lucre. Filthy <laughs> lucre. <laughs> I've the heard green, it called that before. The green stuff, the things that make the world go round, right? Oh, sure. Well, I'll tell you what. Today on this podcast, do we talk about do 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 re mi? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, that's exactly what we talk about today. Well, welcome to another podcast here with Steve and Eddie, and yes, the topic of the day is money. What you got in your piggy bank? How does it affect you? The different things that happen every day that we have to uh, put in play, whether we've got it or whether we don't. And how is God um, in charge of it? Is he in the mix of your money? What does he have to say? So, and before we get into part of talking specifically about all of that, I want to touch base with Eddie. Just wanted to kind of see how you're doing on this very frigid day. It is cold, that's for sure. I, uh, I haven't seen anybody in shorts and t-shirt today. No, but, uh, no. But there uh, are some. There are that... some that still do it. The last cold spell we had, it was. I don't know what day it was, but I saw a guy going in the mall in Tarot with just a just a pair of shorts and a t-shirt on. Phew. And it was. I don't think it was this cold, but it was like 17. So I don't get that, but uh, nonetheless, yeah. they're a lot tougher than I am. I, I wear lots of clothes. I have some lots of clothes on today. <laughs> some people are are definitely made up differently than others. Yeah. Uh, they run a little hot, is what they say. Absolutely. But, um, yeah, I, th- I think that uh, I find myself making sure that I have many layers. Yeah, and if too. I need to shed some of those layers, I'll do that. But um, I have to say I walked dizzy. Yesterday evening, and we were the only ones there. No, oh. the regulars I see weren't even there. It's their this other guy and his wife and dog. I didn't see them. So Riz, Izzy and I call them wussy walkers. <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 there's a certain temperature they won't get. I think if you're going to walk, you're going to walk unless it's pouring down rain or it's a blizzard. Well, I think that we find that that as golfers, I think that there's fair weather golfing. Some 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 people will. Definitely not step out when it's a little bit extra windy or drizzly or whatever. And um, yeah, so fair weather golfers, I guess fair fair weather doggy walkers, I guess that would be what those guys are called. But yeah, it's uh, it's downright chilly, a little bit for sure. And I don't know that it's going to stay very. Do we know if it's going to stay around much? It's supposed to get warm again. Said Monday, I think Monday or Tuesday is supposed to be uh, up in the 40s again. Good night. Well, I hope that you guys are staying warm. We hope Absolutely. that you are staying safe and that your furnaces are working well. And um, and we understand, too, that uh, that is Sullivan County, kind of central uh, Indiana, south central. And um, this might fight you, find you in Florida. It might find you in Hawaii. It might find you actually more north. I know that there are some that listen in that are in Michigan and, yeah, and uh, yes. Wisconsin. So, Well, and I'm sure that uh, the face of Ohio Valley Gas is probably going to stay in his truck today, <laughs> and he would have a hard time getting his flakes to stick. Oh, yeah. They'd have a little extra push to get those <laughs> in the ground. Uh, yeah. But I'm sure that he has to do that. You know, I bet you they could make a, a gun for that. 
I'm sure they can shoot those shoot those flags in there. It'd be fun. Anyway, why we digress? It's all good. Well, I I as I speak to you and uh, we've sometimes talked football. I hope your team has moved on. Um, many teams have uh, many fans. Um, I know a couple of Packer fans that are they're hurting like I was last our, week. And our brother Peter, he's he's doesn't want to talk about football. Yeah, no, he's, yeah, it's. Wait till next year. Mum's the word, right? Titans got beat. Yeah, uh, Titans and the Packers, number one seeds. Eh? Seeds. That's what happens. Yeah, number one yeah, seeds. No, so. so that's a little rough, and uh, we we mourn with you if you're dealing with that. But um, life does go on beyond football. Being a Bears and Cubs fan, I know grief. <laughs> so I know it. I'm Try with you. That's right. Well, I tell you, as we get started into this day's podcast, I just want to pray and uh, get us started. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for who you are. You're magnificent and holy, wonderful, righteous, and you bring such uh, the, the love and fullness to our lives. But we need to stay connected. So, Lord, I pray that we'll stay connected today and throughout this week and Lord, I just pray that you would just bless this podcast. May the words that we speak be appropriate and of you. And we just ask that now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, well it's a pretty big topic, right? Yeah, it's a. it all depends on what direction you come at it from. But I thought it was interesting, the, the most wealthy man probably that's ever lived, really. Uh, he, he's kind of looking the downside of it, actually. You know, I started out talking about, do you control your money or, or does it control you? Hmm. And I thought that was interesting. In 1956, Congress put that on money in God we trust, you know, which God. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of people see that money as their God. And that's hmm. who they trust when it says in God we trust. That, that, that makes sense to them because we trust this. Hmm. We trust this piece of paper and what it stands for. It's right. legal tender, so to speak. I started out talking about the Queen of Sheba came and visited Solomon because she didn't believe what she heard, and she found out that it was true that he was the most wealthy, wise man on earth. So that's who we went to for counsel. And Ecclesiastes 5, 8 through, 8 through 20, it's, like I said, this, this could appear in some of the country's leading newspapers, and it would make sense because it plays right into, into life. And ten verse ten says, "Those who love money will never have enough." And man, we find that to be true. How absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. And here is a person that, more than anybody else that I've ever read, could could speak out of experience, because he he had everything in the world, yeah. and he and he found, and and what he did in this passage, he lifted out three principles. The first one is this, the rich tend to take charge and their power intimidates and offends the poor. This is his observation of the world. Uh, verse 8, if you see oppression of the poor and denial of justice and righteousness in the province, do not be shocked at the sight for one official watches over or protects another official and there are higher officials over them. Mm. Uh, birds of a feather flock together, it's the same way. And it, and I guess that's a frustration of mine in this country to be involved in any kind of political aspiration, especially at a national level, 
you have to be rich. Mm-hmm. Either that or have rich backers. Yeah. A normal person, I don't care if they're the most, uh, have the most integrity and respect of any other human being, if they don't have financial backing, they're not going to make it. And that's sad. I think they should make it on their accomplishments right. and on their merits. But we know that's not the way it is. Mm-hmm. And that, and he's so, he's so right about that. And a lot of time, the rich get richer and the poor get poor. There's, and they, they have divided that chasm between us. He, in verse 9, he says, A king who wisely cultivates the field is an advantage to the land. And, you know, that's what he's saying, that those that have resources they need to put it back into their world back back into their uh, as far as the politicians back into their for their constituents in the united states that that's the that's the whole point but a lot of people don't do that and around the world that's been the problem in haiti all the presidents Mm -hmm. all the leaders has drained the treasure and spending on themselves i mean it's a great example number second proverb was greed and materialism have no built-in safeguards or satisfying limits he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, verse 10 says, nor he who loves abundance with his income. This too is in vanity. It's not an attack on people that have money, or it, it's on the money-hungry who greedily strive for more, uh, that pull out all the stops and harm themselves and others in that zest or in that drive uh, to be wealthy, or at least to appear wealthy. Third proverb, with increased money and possession comes an accelerated number of people and worries. You know, and that's that, that's what people come out of the woodwork when they find out you have a lot of money. Mm. Uh, it's like I, I used Hollywood as an example. The jerk, Steve Martin, remember? He, yeah. he invented those glasses, but then, man, he had tons of people he never heard of or knew always wanting money, and I do believe that to be true. I think that's more money brings more anxiety, Questions arise in the minds of the rich that they not quite troubling that are not quite as troubling when they had less money to manage. Worries over whether certain deals are going to pay off or fall through, or whether employees are earning their keep or stealing from the till, constantly plague the well-to-do. Then he says, "You can't. The more money, more people, more people, more worries, more worries, less sleep." From the outside, the life of the rich may seem delightfully satisfying and carefree, but on the inside is frequently marked by frustration, discontentment, anxiety, and loneliness. Mm, 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 mm. It's because it's the fact that they don't want to lose it. You know, I told a story about that guy that Diana and I knew that had a good job and he'd done well. His dad left him three quarters of a million dollars and he about lost his mind because he had to pay inheritance tax. And then a year or two later, he gets killed in a car wreck. Was it? You know, it's all that anxiety that he caused yeah. himself. He didn't have it to begin with. Right. But then it's just it's amazing how how that can affect people. And then Solomon said, "There's two very grievous evils to remember. First evil: those who have clutched can quickly crash. Our material possessions will not be ours forever." It doesn't make any difference how tightly you hang on to them. You'll either lose them in life or somebody else will inherit them. Right. Second evil, those who live high often die hard. What a despairing scene. The touch-me-not, I've got it made materialist who lives in earthly opulence, is not as well off as he or she might seem. You know, it seems like a lot of people in that position, they, they have no peace is the problem. Uh, no contentment, no happiness. 
because it's a constant thing uh, in, in their mind and they die lonely in a lot of cases. I tell you that John Piper, that uh, the clip that I showed, I think there's some that disagree with that, but he said in almost all cases, wealth is a curse instead of a blessing. And the only way it could be a blessing is if you turn that over to God and you're generous with it. Yeah. And, ju and God will continue to, to bless you. You can't outgive God. Right. It's the same way with Job when he gave up his family, his kids, his livestock, and everything else. Mm -hmm. In the end, God blessed him double right. with land and livestock and children and on and on and on. You can't. And I think the same applies to, to people that are extremely well off. If they give that to God, God continues to pour it on them. Uh, J.C. Penney, when he died, was, was tithing 90%. Yeah, isn't that amazing? I mean, and God just kept just kept it on. You know, J.C. Penney's were strong for many, many years. It's because of him. It was because of his generosity. Um, he kind of lands this airplane in that chapter, in a sense. He brings us back to the positive. He, he gives us three very good and fitting gifts to claim, and gift one is this. Claim the gift of enjoyment in your life. Solomon writes, It is a good and fitting to eat and drink and enjoy oneself and all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the years, few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward, to enjoy what he's given us. To, man, I, I really feel sorry for people that live with a cloud over them like Pigpen or uh, in Charlie Brown. Right. Was it Pigpen? Yeah. Wherever he went, there was a, of course it was dust and everything, but he had a cloud. He had a cloud over him. But I can't imagine living every day that life is a drudgery and there's no hope or nothing to look forward to. Yeah. Regardless of the state we're in, in Christ we can we can live, we can enjoy life. Second gift: claim the gift of fulfillment in your work. Well, this is a big one for some people. Uh, they they can't find fulfillment because they're always wanting to a raise or they're always wanting a better job but to try to find fulfillment right where you're at and and work as into working unto the lord that you're doing it for god it gives you a lot different attitude and yeah. a lot different motivation that's right, that's right. and then the third gifts claim the gift of contentment in your heart one who is fulfilled in his work will not often consider the years of his life verse 20 because god keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart we can Experience inner peace and joy as we focus on the Lord and revel in His provisions, whether they be adequate or abundant. On the other hand, if you are money-hungry, you'll never find happiness and rest. Moneyness can, money cannot buy contentment, and satisfaction is a gift from God. Yeah. And I think that, that in all of this, it's based on our perspective and therefore a disillusionment. As we see this, and we all see it as in, well, if I could just have what this person had, I'll be more fulfilled. If this this will fill that hole, yeah. you know, if I don't have to worry about that, then I'll then I'll, I'll I'll feel fulfilled. And it's a disillusionment. It's like sand running through our hands. You just can't grab a hold of it because once that one part is satisfied, then there's another thing that's dissatisfied. You know, and I, I am sure as sure as we're sitting here today that there are followers of Christ that buy lottery tickets and pray for God to let them win. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. knowing what we said, wealth's a curse. Yeah. And God knows better. Yeah. He knows what's best for us. You know, I, I, I don't know. That's a that's a heck of a thought, but I think that's probably <coughs> probably true. Yeah. What did why would why would uh what was that scripture about? You know, if you were hungry, why would God give you what, a snake or mm -hmm. in that hole mm -hmm. or a rock? Instead of giving you a loaf of bread, he gives right. you a rock. Right, right, right. right, yeah. But then he mentions a snake in that passage. Mm -hmm. Why would why would God do that? A loving father, why would he do that? Right. Would we do that here on earth? It, it know, would be would, the yeah. same analogy as, you know, I don't know how excited people were. I don't know if they are anymore as much kids getting their license or whatever. And to have a car. Mm -hmm. But to take a 16-year, is it 16, I guess, is still the it driving is. age. Yeah. Giving a kid a Maserati or yeah. a Lamborghini knowing something that went 200 miles an hour, would that be a smart thing for a dad to do to Absolutely give his kid that? Not, no. Yeah, it's that if A loving father wouldn't do that. Right. Now, maybe that car on down the road after he learned to drive or whatever, but uh, no. I, he, God, and that's, I, I, I think maybe when we stand before him that, that maybe he'll answer some questions because it said in 1 Corinthians that we will know even as we are known our all of our questions will be will be answered mm -hmm. so and why god did this and why god did he doesn't have to explain himself to us but i think he he wants to make it clear in that sense that god knows what's best for us and we don't uh, sometimes we can't grasp that it is it's to obtain happiness it comes with surrender that joy of the Lord being our strength as I surrender unto him and ask for his wisdom and ask for his fullness on a daily basis that obedience then turns to joy and peace wherever it finds us whether rich or poor whether healthy uh, finding us unhealthy um, you know, sick, in all measures of life, yeah. find, finding our fulfillness in the one who sustains us. Yeah. And that's, that's well, and you know, we, you come down to the end, it, in God we trust, I, I hope it's Jehovah, I hope it's Jesus Christ and not hmm. legal tender. I yeah. hope we don't put all of our, I know we have to have it to live and survive, but it's, it all depends on how we use it, actually. So that we took advice from probably the wealthiest man ever lived and had the most at his fingertips. Even all the kings after him, he didn't have, they didn't have, why did Solomon have it? Because he asked for wisdom. He asked for the one thing that he needed to govern God's people, yeah. but God blessed him with all this other stuff and it messed him up almost. Yeah. I, I think that's, and that goes into this, are you running against the wind is where he goes on in chapter six. Um, and the text on that is, uh, where did I find it at? I should have that written on the top. You got the text, you got the, did I write that down there, Steve? I'm looking for it, but it's... Is that six, 10 through 11? Um, nine. This is, yeah, it is. Yep, I'm, oh, yeah, that's what it is. He. He, he goes on and um, I guess it's 
He's six. Chapter six, yeah, yeah, chapter six. As you're right, 10 through. 10 through 12, 10 through. Well, one, one through. Um, right. Well, we know where I'm at. We're in, we're, in, we're in Ecclesiastes 6. And it reminded me of, of that, that Bob Seger song, yeah. Against the Wind. Yeah. He, he goes through his whole life, and he's talking about running against the wind. And then the, uh, I, and the years rolled slowly past, and I found myself alone, surrounded by strangers I thought were my friends. I found myself further and further from my home, and I guess I lost my way. There are so many roads. I was living to run and running to live, never worried about paying or even how much I owed. Moving eight miles a minute for months at a time, breaking all the rules that would bend, I began to find myself searching, searching for shelter again against the wind. <laughs> and then the last, the last verse goes, well, those drifter days are past me now and I've got so much more to think about. Deadlines of commitments, what to leave in, what to leave out. Against the wind, I'm still running against the wind. I'm older now but still running against the wind. And that's what's, that's exactly what Solomon was saying, is he run against his, against the wind, and he's talked about uh, life is full of vanities, nothing worthwhile under the sun, all is worthless, futile. And we strive for it like chasing the wind. You know, and that's what... So in chapter 6, the scene Solomon has painted in his journal evoke vivid images, we could imagine them as actual portraits hanging in a galley with these tiles attached to them. And these would, the, these would be the pictures that we would see. The bewildered philosopher, the funny-faced clown, the hedonistic playboy, the good time Charlie, the industrious worker, the appraised victim, oppressed, the disillusioned top dog, the faithful friend, the committed worshiper, and the greedy materialist. So, and as you walk through that gallery of Solomon's journal, we find still another portrait. This one bears a resemblance to those we have already viewed, yet its difference are striking. It is painted in dark drab colors that convey a sense of struggle, pain, and even anguish. It examines more closely, we will discern that it is the self-portrait mm -hmm. of a troubled king. He paints the picture of himself. He talks about verses 1 and 2 in chapter 6. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is prevalent among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires, but God does not empower him to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity and a severe affliction. A man whom God has given riches to and wealth, that's for Second Chronicles 1. 12, when God speaks to Solomon in, in similar terminology, he said, I will give you riches and wealth and honor such as none of the kings who were before you has ever possessed, nor those who will ever come after you. Hmm. In the whole annals of history and time, there's never been another Solomon. Wow. That was God's promise to him. And now he is talking about here, he, he of all this stuff that God has given him, he wasn't... He wasn't wise enough to grasp it and enjoy it. He says it's vanity and a severe affliction. That, that's tragic almost if you think about that. Yeah. Um, apparently Solomon tried to overcome his frustration, despair by adding various things to his life. And we've kind of been through some of those. Uh, he talked about uh, in, in verse 6a, first party, he concludes that even a 
thousand, two thousand years lifespan would be miserable if one does not enjoy good things. He, they didn't, they didn't satisfy him. Uh, so what benefits are living a long life? Solomon reflects on his attempt at using hard work. He, he talked about a good education. Uh, for what manage does the wise man over the fool? What advantage does the poor man have knowing how to walk before the living? Verse 8, there is none. And the bottom line is that, verse 9, what the eyes see is better than what the soul desires. And then he, he, he comes to, he, it's like he goes off and rants, goes on a rant for a while, and then he, he comes to his senses, and, and he does remember God. The first, the first observation that's realistic that he gives is God is sovereign. Solomon states that whatever exists has already been named. For instance, when Adam gave names to the animals, he was exercising his God-given right and responsibility to rule over the earth. Therefore, the Lord is the king over all creation. And then, secondly, he mentions that mankind is not sovereign. Man's not in charge. It's God. But boy, you know, there's a lot of people that want to put them on the throne as king, so to speak, and that they're almost, they put themselves up with God. And that's the, that's the lie that Satan spreads. Yeah, for sure. You don't have to listen. You are God. Mm-hmm. Be a God. You're the God. You're, you, right. know, you don't have to. Right. <laughs> and thirdly, disputing with God is a waste of time and effort. I like that. As Solomon says, verse 10 and 11, he, he's speaking of man, cannot dispute with him who is stronger than he is, for there are many words which increase futility. What then is the advantage to a man? There is none. In fact, quarreling with the Creator can bring discipline and even judgment. The prophet Isaiah states as much when he writes these words of warning in Isaiah 45. Destruction is certain for those who argue with the Creator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does a clay pot ever argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute in one who shapes it, saying, Stop, you're doing it wrong. Does the pot exclaim, How clumsy can you be? How terrible it would be if a newborn baby said to its father and mother, Why was I born? Why did you make me this way? This is what the Lord, the Creator, and the Holy One of Israel says. Do not question what I do. Do you give me orders about the work of my hands? I am the one who made the earth and created people to live on it. With my hands, I stretched out the heavens. All the millions of stars are at my command. It's like what he said to Job. Who are you? Yeah. Where were you when I made the world? You know? <laughs> so and I, I think a lot of people want to rise themselves to that point. Uh, and then, you know, it's, it's the point of if taking a look and self-evaluation see that's what i think worship is partly it's us worshiping and giving our praise and glory mm-hmm. to god but yet then it's a self-appraisal it's a it's a look at ourselves as we line up with god's word that's that's how i see the sermon or the message um in, in ecclesiastes six twelve, solomon said who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime during the few years of his futile life. He will spend them like a shadow for who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun. 
1890, Oscar Wilde wrote the picture of Dorian Gray. It, what a what a wild story that is. He it's about a, a young man that keeps his youthful beauty, but a but a specific painting gradually gradually reveals gradually reveals his inner ugliness to all. So when he sinned and lived a rough life, he didn't age. It was on that. It came. It was on that picture. Mm. It, and that's and there's a clip from the picture of Dorian Gray. It's an old movie, 1945, actually. But you kind of get the drift. At the end, it all comes home because then it, after, after he dies, that ugliness transfers yeah, on yeah. himself, right. and that's sin, really. All Dorian Gray's evil and the effects of it were transferred on his, on his painting instead of his own body. And then, I think it's an analogy of us, of our sin was transferred. Or Jesus, if you want to see your sin, uh, watch the Passion of Christ. Right. Yeah. And how Hollywood did make Jesus up to look. That that's our sin on that. Goodness. In His body. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's kind of where we're going with that. And the questions in the end that that are asked is this: Does your life seem futile? More than likely, it does to all of us at times, but when we become frustrated, bewildered, and discontent, we often dispute with God. Sometimes we even stand and shake our fist at God. We get angry at God. Yeah. Yeah. I think he expects that. I, I know a lot of times with our spouses, we will, we will vent and whatever, and then we get over it and move on, but you need a place to vent and get that out of your system. But I think God... I think God expects it. I think it's better to stand and shake your fist at God as you pour out your frustration because you're getting it off your chest and he listens and he loves you and he expects that. The the key is not to stay mad. Right. That's the key to life in Christ is not stay mad. Understanding his sovereignty, his omnipotence, his all all encompassing wisdom. You know, I think that recognizing his love for us, you know, uh, that means that a uh, a, a God, our God, is not ill-willed against us. No. You know. Well, in that second question, are you fearful about the future? We don't know what the future holds. But Christ has assured us we build our lives on his word and act on his counsel. Then we'll be compared to a wise man, Matthew 7. Compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against his house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. On the other hand, we hear his word and fail to order our lives after it. Then we'll, we'll be like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against the house and it fell and great was its fall. So it's Joshua's song. <laughs> yeah. On which foundation does your life rest? The rock or sand? You know, and the, and the answer to this question reveals our ultimate destiny, either heaven or hell. You know, we don't run against the wind. We should run to Jesus. That's the whole point. Right. <laughs> oh, that's where we're going. Some life questions. You know, it, it can, it's, uh, it's important. Uh, like you said, you know, it's sometimes tough going through a book, going through the Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is not easy because of all of this. There's this life uh, as our life story is being tried to be revealed and as we have these questions 
we, we go through these things. You know, where what do we do with this money? What you know, what what about this longing that's in me for that? Or what about life in general? And and so this has been good to go through. Well, and like I said, we we're, we're hearing from a man that lived it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I said before when uh, before we started this church. Uh, I went to seminars and conferences and on. I wanted to hear from people that did it. Mm-hmm. You can do anything theoretically. You can tell other people how to do stuff that you've never done by a book or whatever. But in all actually hands-on living, you won't talk to somebody that right that's done it. Right. You know, it's like I said, you wouldn't want to give. Bill a scalpel and have him do brain surgery because he's got the diagram in front of him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> or anybody, actually. Right. Not right, just right. him, but anybody. You wouldn't want... Man, you want somebody to... Uh, if they're going to operate on you, hope they know what they're doing. They've Skilled, done it before. Experienced. <laughs> wow. Very, very well it's knowledgeable like them, of it all. It's like them yin-yang um, Navy corpsmen in the Marine Corps They'd be getting ready to fill a tooth of water and say, well, you know, what, jar, hey, we've never done this before, so you're a first. And they was messing with you, giving you shots and all kinds of stuff. Whoa. And yeah, they loved it. Oh, my, they were in the height of their glory to mess with these new recruits that were scared half out of their mind and everything. And you went in there, and then <laughs> they knew what they were doing. They were just messing with you. Oh <laughs> uh, Well, I tell you, it is, life is interesting. Well, that's and it's confusing, least. and it can be enlightening, and it can be joyful and fulfilling. But where we know we need, where we can put it in front of, I guess let me clarify that. Sorry, where to know where to put our lives is so important. That's what Solomon is trying to say. In all of this, let the Lord take it. Let the Lord be your guide. Let the Lord be the one that gives you wisdom, the Holy Spirit guiding you, directing you. Listen to me, he's saying. Listen to me. At the end of my life, I want to tell you, all is for naught. If we passionately go after things that are that are not in the right, right his, form. His truth is the only truth that we humans can come together and agree on. You take the body of Christ, the church... And we're all put together, different personality types, different backgrounds, different church backgrounds, and on and on. They're mashed into one body, and only in Christ can we make that work. That's right. That's why, sad to say, there are those that get upset easily and uh, walk away from the church and everything else because it didn't go their way or whatever. Mm. You know, I'm... I, I guess that's been in forty some years of ministry. That's, uh, I guess that's, that's been my biggest heartbreak, of people, who didn't buy in. You thought they were bought into your vision or God's vision. Uh, I, I'm big on forgiveness. If if we can't forgive and and move on, uh, no relationship will work because we we make each other mad. We upset each other. Yeah. But to be able to sit down and, you know, it's like the scripture said, come, let us reason together. Yeah. Let us lay our cards on the table and sort through them. We might never agree on things, but at least we'll still love each other. That trust we, factor is huge. We won't get mad and not speak to you the rest of your right. life. That, right. 
So that drives me crazy. And that's what I was talking about money. Mm. I know families that really loved each other. And when the will was read, they never speak to, spoke to each other the rest of their life. And right. I don't, it just drives me nuts. So I know if you, I'm ranting and raving now. So I guess. <laughs> well, Pastor, why don't you pray uh, and uh, just let the Lord help us to sink all of this into our hearts. Lord, we love you. And uh, on the issue of money, uh, as we go to Haiti and third world countries, we realize that we are millionaires here. We just what we have right now, not what we will attain in the future, or uh, something pays off or whatever, but. Compared to them, I mean, my goodness gracious! And uh, I even saw that in Russia as well—that we are, we are extremely wealthy here. May we revel in that fact, that give you praise and glory for what you've given us, and help us to share that wealth, Lord. I know we can get a little stingy sometimes, but my, over the years, how much I've seen you do in people's lives that are generous—they're yes. more happy, they're more at peace, they're more content. And they, and they get pleasure by helping and giving to others. And that's the way you want us to be as your kids. So that's my prayer. And Lord, for striving and running against the wind, that just like beating our head against a concrete wall, that's not the way we're supposed to live as your children. We are supposed to live in peace and in contentment. And every day we are supposed to live through allowing that fruit of you, Holy Spirit, to flow through us. We don't always do it, and I'm guilty as well, but that's what you desire for us because life takes on a different meaning. Because we get to the point, we realize, Lord, it's not about us. I am not the center of the universe. You are. <laughs> and it makes, it makes stuff so more enjoyable. Thank you for our church, Lord, as we continue to do life together. Give us wisdom and guidance. We love you, God, and give you praise and glory just for being so good. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, as you ponder these things, as you let them sink in and uh, maybe dig a little deeper in Ecclesiastes or maybe even a, uh, a Bible reference, uh, uh, you know, reflective way, uh, we just pray that you're, uh, you will find more and more of just that fullness of what God brings to the table and to your life. And as we step into each of our days, we, as we lead this church, we need to succumb to God's surrender and continue to adjust our leadership and continue to work on it to where it will better uh, glorify Him daily, weekly, uh, yearly. And um, so we covet your prayers as leaders here at this church and uh, in the kingdom that, um, that as we continue to move forward, we will glorify God in all that we say and do. So... And as we wrapped up today, we just um, are so thankful to be able to do this, to do the podcast, to get it out to you, to speak about some of these details, relevancy of life uh, based on those sermons that we uh, that are every week. God bless you. And as you go out of this time frame and of listening to this, we pray that your day uh, continues to go well in this week that you find that you're just submitting under the, the authority of God. And uh, so until next week in the podcast then, we'll say goodbye for now. Thank you.